Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and today we're upstairs. It's raining like it does here in Alabama sometimes, so we had to come under the cover and use the smaller grill, but we're not going to let that stop us today. Today, we're going to be talking about your big idea, finding your thing that you can focus on and build your business around. And while we do that, we're going to be grilling some beef tri-tips. It's got a little gnarly there on the flopping around on my uh, fork there. But yeah, this is something that's really big out in California, a cool cut of beef, and we're going to slow smoke it and talk about finding your thing. Like I said, I'm upstairs today because I am uh, dodging the rain as it is here sometimes. So you don't hear much of a sizzle this time because we're going with a slow smoke as the show is called. Um, 225 and we're going to wait for it to reach temp in there and then we're going to do all sorts of fun stuff they call it a reverse sear and so that's what we're going to do today so let's talk about finding your big thing now one of the most common things i get asked by people is um how did you figure this out so if i tell them about proctor you or the you know the business that we started they'll say well how did you come up with that and that's one of the most common questions i get from people is how do you come up with that or they'll say oh man i wish i would have thought of that and it's just one of the um I think it's one of the basic fallacies of entrepreneurship that people that aren't in the game kind of think that it's if you just have the idea, if you just figure out the thing, um, then it all kind of flows from that. If you have the good idea, then you're going to be successful. And so to prove that that's not the case, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Now, before um, we started ProctorU, Matt Jay, my co-founder and our uh, CTO at ProctorU for a long time, um, and I were working on other projects. And one of the things that we came up with was um, essentially what, uh, what was eventually Zillow. Um, we, we, at the time, there was no Zillow, there was no Trulia, um, and real estate listings were kind of a walled garden on the internet. You had to uh, actually be working with somebody and they would, you know, a real estate agent would look up the listing for you and you couldn't access them as freely as you can now. It's sort of a silly idea to think that. Now, but at the time in the kind of the early 2000s, it wasn't easy to get inter- uh, to get listings from real estate online. And so we came up with something we called RealtorClicks. And RealtorClicks was going to be a website where we created sort of a secondary uh, MLS, which is what they call the, the multiple listing system, right, for real estate, and make it easy for people to find listings um, without having to go through a real estate agent. Now, that's essentially what... Uh, Zillow built, and Zillow's known for a lot of other things now, but that was kind of the original premise of Zillow. There was no Zillow at the time. Um, and so we built this site, we launched it, uh, and within a couple of months, uh, we, got a, we got a cease and desist letter from the National Association of Realtors explaining to us that the word realtor um, is a trademark term, and um, just throwing the word clicks on the end of it uh, doesn't sort of dodge that, and that was our first kind of lesson in intellectual property and trademarks, right? Um, and so we tried to pivot into another name or think of some other things. And quickly we realized that we didn't have the connections. We didn't have the funding and everything that were needed to do this. And then Zillow came out <laughs> and Trulia came out shortly after that. And we were flattened, right? So the point there is that was a great idea. Look at Zillow, right? Zillow is a great idea. Um, but we just didn't execute it on that well because we weren't really positioned to do that. Conversely, let me give you something that was a terrible idea. So then in the in the 1970s, there's a guy named Gary Dahl, D-A-H-L. You can Google his name. And Gary Dahl came up with what is a objectively dumb idea. 
he created this thing called the Pet Rock. And you could literally buy a rock from his company and it had a name and you could say, hey, this is my pet rock, Floyd. And, I, and that really became a thing. Now, believe it or not, um, that took off in the 70s and it became this fad. And uh, he sold, I think, around $4 million worth of these pet rocks, literal rocks that he named uh, and sold to you. Now, that's a dumb idea right? But the point there is it was brilliantly executed. So I guess what I'm going back to is when you're thinking about what is your thing, first realize that ideas can be a dime a dozen. What it really comes down to is execution. You can get further in your entrepreneurial journey with a bad idea that's brilliantly executed than you can with a great idea that's poorly executed. Now, you might say, uh, well, I guess I've got this great idea. Like we can come up with a lot of ideas right now that would be great. Hey, what if we came up with a cure for a particular type of cancer? Man, that's a great idea. But can you really figure out how to do it? And can you execute on it? And can you get it to a lot of people? Just because you have the idea doesn't mean that it's actually going to be something that you can scale, build into a business, and actually make an effective thing for you and your market. Now, I know we just put the meat on, but I want to kind of check and make sure we're doing okay. Yep, so slow smoking it. We've got it at 225. That's good. This is going to take, I'm a little impatient, so this is going to take a little bit longer than, uh, than I normally do. When, when I cook steaks, it's like, tss, tss, I like to sear them and keep them kind of rare on the inside, so I'm going to have to exercise patience on this. Uh, but speaking of patience, when you're trying to find an idea, you need to be patient and look for the right thing, not the first thing that sounds interesting, but you got to look for the right thing that you can execute on. And one of the things that I... Um, kind of always think about is if you're coming up with a business idea, really people pay money for two types of things. They pay money for pleasure and things that they want to do. And then they pay for things that they need or to solve problems. So you're either solving a problem or letting somebody have fun and have something they want. They either want it or they need it. And you need to figure out which kind of business it is uh, that you're going to be building. Now, if you build something that people want, that's usually a lot more fun. Um, but you're usually the first thing to get cut when the economy gets bad or money gets tight, right? It's something that people want. Something that people needs, um, man, you can really build a great business with that because people will pay to solve a problem. So look around, look around at the things that you know, the industries that you know, the things that you have proximity to, people, businesses, and look for problems. Look for something that no one has solved yet and look for a problem that if you solved it, that business would cut their cost, make more money, get more customers, become more efficient, figure out what the actual solution does for that business. And if you can really articulate that and say, boy, if I could solve this, that would do blank. Come up with something like that. And then if you really think you have something, do a little research, do some you know, internet research, figure out, is anybody else doing that? Um, how do other people solve this problem? And then go in and talk to somebody, say to a business owner or somebody that has that problem and say, you know, if I solve this for you, what would that do for your business? And they'd go, well, you know, ah, we tried that or whatever. But just listen, you know, ask a question and listen. I talk about that all the time. Listening is such an important thing when you're talking to customers or potential customers. Go in and listen. Ask them, what would solving this problem do for your business? And then if they say, gosh, I'd make so much more money or whatever, then if it's going really well, you can ask, well, how much would you pay to solve that problem? And they probably won't know, and they're probably going to lowball it. But it gives you a sense of 
hmm, would they be willing to pay for that? Or um, is that something that, you know, ah, we would never do that sort of thing. Um, then you really sort of figure it out. It's important for you to talk to people. Uh, I can't stress enough, you know, a lot of how I learned in my career was talking to a lot of people and listening to what they have to say. So, hey, this is what I think. What do you think? And then listening to some smart opinions. You don't always, you know, you're not always going to agree with everything that everybody says, but go out and talk to people and listen to their opinions. And you may start to find that some people have uh, problems that you haven't thought about. That's another thing. If you haven't identified a problem that you think you could go solve, you could go talk to people that you know that own businesses or run businesses and say, hey, what kind of problems are you facing right now? What's your biggest, what's your biggest concern as a business right now? And they're going to say something like, you know, got to get my costs down or we got to grow or we got to, I got to find more customers. I got to keep my customers longer. I got to keep my customers more engaged and just keep asking follow-up questions and listen and listen and listen. And I guarantee you, if you do that enough, you'll stumble across a problem that's worth solving and something that somebody will pay for you to solve. Now, does it save people time? Does it save people money? You figure those kinds of things out. And then the, the thing that you have to, to start to ask yourself, let's say you've come, maybe this is my idea. Maybe this is it. What you need to do then is you need to say, what competitors does this potential business have? Now, I've been blessed to be the judge of some uh, business competitions before, some sort of like Shark Tank type pitch competitions. And it never fails. There's always one or two businesses that will come up and they will, you know, pitch their idea for a business. And here's my plan and here's the market and here's everything. And then they say this phrase, they say, and currently our business has no competitors. Now that is incorrect. That is always 100% of the time that is incorrect when you say your business has no competitors. Because when you say that, you mean that there's no one else doing this like I do it. Uh, and I would caution you that an experienced investor, when they hear somebody say, well, no one else is doing this, um, they're probably going to think there's a reason why no one else is doing it, right? Is this a bad idea? Has someone else tried it and realized there's no money to be made or people don't really want you to solve that problem? So be careful when you say no one else is doing this. Maybe you can say no one else has figured this out, but don't say no one else is doing this. And truthfully, when you say there's no competitor, there's always a competitor because at the end of the day, the competitor to your business is what people choose to do instead of you using your business. So your competitor might be doing nothing, right? And that's a competitor. And that's the reason why people would not use your business. And so you really need to understand what competition is out there and what your customers might do if they didn't use your business and understand why and understand the pitfalls of them not using your business. The more you understand that and the better you can articulate that to yourself and to the people that are building your product, the better you're going to position this uh, to be a good solution for your customers. So make sure that you talk to people and ask them those questions and say, well, what are you doing now? How do you solve this problem now? And they'll say, you know, whatever it is, take notes, listen, listen, listen. And then you'll be able to build your product a little bit off of that. So you have to then figure out if there's money to be made. And that's really where you figure out whether you have a business or you're running a charity, right? So if you have a business, you found something that people will actually pay. Now, that's really tricky, especially if you're creating a brand new thing that nobody's ever solved the problem in your way before. So if you are, um, you need to understand the economics of the whole sort of supply chain there. So if you're, I'll give you an example. If you were creating um, uh, a business that made it more efficient for people to place to-go orders for restaurants, I'll just 
coming up with an idea off the cuff there. In order to understand what a restaurant would be willing to pay for something like that, you need to understand what their average order size is and what their average margin is on those orders. And then you start to understand, you know, if your business, if your potential customer, um, you know, their average order size is $10 and they usually make two bucks off of that $10 as their profit, you can't charge them $4 an order, right? Because there's just not enough margin there to cover it. And so, a lot of businesses make that mistake right out of the gate. They say, well, we could charge, we could charge X for this. And then they sort of put it, build it into a spreadsheet and they go, God, we'll be worth 7 billion by next summer. And they didn't stop to think, you know, does the market actually support that? Does the market economics actually support a price like that? So spend some time thinking about that. Find out the economics of the, like the unit economics for the problem that you're trying to solve. And then, like I said, talk to people, ask them, say, hey, would you be willing to pay X to solve this problem? What would that do for your business? If you solve this problem, how much money would you save or how much more money would you make? And that's when you start figuring out your elevator pitch and your sales pitch. Like if you can eventually say, if I solve this problem for you, you're going to make, you know, you're going to spend X, but you're going to make Y, right? You're going to make that back. That's how you start selling people on what it is that you're doing. Once all of that checks out, the next thing that you want to ask yourself is how. Now notice, we didn't really get to how until we sort of checked off, is it a problem that we can solve? Understanding our customer, understanding their unit economics, understanding what the competitor or the alternative is. Only then did we get to how. It's so interesting to me how many businesses start with how and then they go search for a problem for the solution that they've built. And that it, it just, it's a recipe for frustration and wasted time and wasted money. If you really want to build a business that lasts and build a business that grows, you have to start with your customer and work backward. And then you land on how. When you get to how, then you start figuring out, okay, here's the things I need to do. I needed to cost this much. I needed to do these things. How would I go about doing that? Do I need a software developer? Do I need a product designer? Do I need an engineer? What are the different things that you need? Maybe you're that person, maybe you're not. But at, only then do you start to build the how, right? And only then do you start to realize whether you need seed money or whether you can bootstrap it and all of that. We're gonna have some people on the show really soon uh, that are some bootstrap ninjas and I can't wait to have them on there because it's something I really, really believe in. But exciting uh, things happen when you work backwards from your customer, right? You, work, you start with them, you talk to them, and more importantly, you listen and you build your program from there. Now, let's check the meat one more time. Like I said, this is actually going to be a slow smoke. It's starting to turn a little browner there. That's good. I actually have a fan on my... Uh, on my grill here so that my porch doesn't fill up with smoke and my wife get upset that that wafts into the house, even though I would wear that as cologne, right? So this is going to be a short episode, but I really wanted to do one on finding your big idea because I hear people say it all the time. Gosh, if I could just have that idea, you know, how did you think of that? That's so interesting. How did you, at the end of the day, it's less about how did you think of it and more about how did you figure out exactly how to turn that Rubik's cube, how to, take the solution that you have and, and dial it right in for the problem that people actually are willing to pay to solve. Um, it's such an easier way to do it from that perspective. And if you're in that stage of your entrepreneurial journey and you're trying to build a business, trying to figure out exactly what direction you want to go, start by finding a problem to solve. Talk to your customers and work backwards from there. 
Thank you so much. I really want everybody to go check us out on social media. We've got a growing audience on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. Please find us all there and make sure you like and subscribe our show here, wherever you find your podcast, Spotify or Apple or wherever. We'll see you next time.